I would ask you please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been studying the book of Hebrews for some time now. And we're in uh, chapter 11 for, I believe, the sixth week. So uh, we haven't hurried necessarily through the, the chapter 11, but we have been seeing... Um, that God is calling us to faith and to trust in Him even when situations of life might cause us to doubt, even as the, uh, those early Hebrew Christians were having difficulties and uh, causing them maybe to doubt. And He's saying, you know, hold fast, stand firm in faith. Think of all the Old Testament folks who went before you and how, how their faith was strong even in the, in the midst of trials and and he has uh, reminded us of, of faith that's gone through the book of Genesis and told us about many of those who expressed faith in the book of Genesis. He's gone on to Exodus and talked about Moses and the people of God there. And now this morning he continues on in the Old Testament, going on from Genesis and Exodus and all the books of Moses. And now he's going into uh, the book of Joshua and about them beginning to enter into the land. And he'll, he'll go on with all of the people uh, throughout the Old Testament, reminding uh, the first century Hebrew Christians and reminding us that they were people of faith. And we need to be people of faith as well. He's writing God's Word. And since it is God's Word to us, I would ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 11. We'll begin in verse 30. We read, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the surprise, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and uh, Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign, uh, uh, foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you, you may be seated. You know, you can, uh, you can get a glimpse into people's uh, philosophy of life or their theology um, by looking at their bumper stickers quite often. And I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker. It's not been all that popular, but I have seen it. The, the, the bumper sticker says, faith works. <laughs> kind of a pragmatic approach to faith. The idea that uh, the, uh, the 
uh, means, justifies the end, and that uh, if you just have faith, um, you can get whatever you want. Uh, there's many out there. You can go home this afternoon, turn on the television, the Christian uh, stations if you want, and you'll be able to see it in a little while, I'm sure. Uh, kind of a uh, health and wealth and prosperity gospel. You can have your very best life right now. Anything that you want, you just ask God. If you truly believe it, he will give it to you. If you need a bigger house or you need a, uh, a new car or if you, need, um, if you need an $8 million jet, you can simply name it and claim it. And uh, you, you speak it into existence. There are those who will tell you these sorts of things. You just believe it and it will happen. We live in a pragmatic culture that so often believes in this sort of thing. That, that uh, faith is the instrument by which we, we can get everything that we want and we will have our, our best life right now. Well, I want you to know that this is not the type of faith that the author of Hebrews has in mind when he talks about those heroes of the faith uh, back in the Old Testament. We've seen how many of those heroes of the faith already went through very difficult times in this life. And we're even told that they died not having received the things that was promised to them, and yet they died in faith. They were looking forward to a fulfillment that was yet to come. And they knew that God was faithful and would bring his promises to pass. Hebrews chapter 11 traces the faith of uh, many of the people of God in the Old Testament. Like I mentioned already, he begins in Genesis, goes from uh, Abel and uh, Noah, and um, it talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and he's looking at all of them, and he's gone through Genesis and Exodus, and as I mentioned this morning, he begins with uh, Joshua, and he goes on. Uh, to kind of sum up in a, in a thumbnail sketch sort of way the faith of all of those in the Old Testament. He says, I don't have time to, to mention all of them, but he mentions some of them. So this morning I want us to look at the faith of those that he mentions this morning. Um, it's our fifth time that we've been looking at the heroes of the faith that here found in Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to notice in your bulletin you have an outline that talks about the faith of, of those that we're going to speak about this morning. And you see the four points that we, we have there. The first one we see in verse 30, what I'm going to call an impossible faith, or, or faith in the impossible, right, that might seem to be impossible. We see it in verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Uh, you know the story. If you ever were in vacation Bible school or Sunday school, you, you learned the stories and you could sing. Joshua put the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. You know the story, right? You've been there. Well, I heard a story about a young man who was uh, in church with his parents for the first time. They sent, sent him off to Sunday school in his Sunday school class. And after church, they all got together and sat down around the table to eat. They wanted to know what Johnny had learned in Sunday school. So they asked him, he said, why, why don't you tell us about what you learned in Sunday school? And he said, well, I learned about the Battle of Jericho. And they said, well, great, that's wonderful. Why don't you tell us about it? He hesitated a little while. He says, well, you see, uh, the people of Israel were kind of outnumbered. They weren't real strong. They weren't a, uh, a new uh, country or anything. And so 
When they come up to Jericho, they were a lot stronger than them. And so what Joshua did is he got on the phone and he called up some, uh, some stealth bombers that came in with the bombs. And they had their, you know, laser bombs. They could come in and blow them up. And they sent some cruise missiles. They had Apache attack helicopters and all. And his parents, wait a minute, Johnny. Wait a minute. Are you sure that's what they said? Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Johnny, tell the truth. Yeah, I guess. Okay, that's not what they, that's really not what they said. But if I told you what they said, you'd never believe it. It, it kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? All, you know, if, if you're up against a superior force, all you have to do is, is go and march around the city in silence once a day for six days. And then the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And then you yell out, and the walls are going to fall down. We look at that and go, that's silly. No one can believe such a thing. But we see here, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Can you imagine the people of Israel going in saying, so we're, we're just supposed to march around in silence? We're doing this for six days. And this is somehow going to win this battle for us? Israel, who had, you know, a birth of a nation, they come out of Egypt and they didn't come out with all the instruments of war in order to win the battle. And while they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, they weren't building battering rams and catapults and all these things. They were not, you know, your, your typical fighting machine back in those days. Jericho was a well-fortified city, big, thick walls. Um, it, you know, they, they must have looked at it and go, this is not likely that we're going to be able to defeat them. But God says, yes, you are. I'm going to do it for you, and here's what you do. And so he tells them to go out and walk around it in silence. You look at it and go, well, that's just impossible. That can't happen. And yet, what did the people of Israel do? They go out in obedience, believing that God was going to bring them the victory, trusting that his way was the best way, and all they had to do was be obedient to him. And walking around the city uh, for seven days, and on the seventh day, seven times, and, and then yell out, and, and it was going to fall. You see, faith follows God's instructions, uh, even when it's conf it confronts the wisdom of men and the wisdom of men say, well, that's foolish. That just doesn't make any sense. You see, the wisdom of God confounds the wisdom of man. We think uh, coming to worship and we try to communicate through preaching. And preaching is kind of uh, similar to a lecture sort of thing. And they've done studies and education find that lecturing is one of the least uh, effective ways of communicating. And so we might think, well, we need to do all kinds of other things. We could have puppet shows, or we could do videos, we could, uh, all these different things we can add into worship. And yet God himself says to us in 1 Corinthians that preaching is the way to do it. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so we look at the power of preaching, and we think, well, that's foolishness. But that's the means that God uses. We're to be obedient in doing it this way. What about other things of God's word? Well, we think that 
our standing before God needs to be because of how good we are. And so if we live a better life and if we just do the best we can, God's always going to accept that. And yet God says, no, that's not the way it's got to be. Instead, I am going to, I'm going to send one who will take care of your sins and give you his righteousness. It's called vicarious atonement. I'm going to send Jesus to take your sins upon himself, and I'm going to give you his righteousness instead. This is not the religion of man. No man would have made this up. This is not, we look at that and go, that's impossible. God's got to judge us on, on our merits. Instead, we see that he judges us on his merits. We look at the birth of Jesus. And even the first century in the birth of Jesus, when Jesus comes to Mary and says to her, Mary, you're going to have a son. And she says, well, that's not possible. She tells the angel, that's just not possible. I'm, I'm a virgin. And it doesn't happen to virgins. And you remember what God said. He said, well, well it's impossible. But with, all, with God, all things are possible. Right? It's not impossible. We look at that and we go, okay. We can believe in the God who can do the impossible. In our minds, we think a lot of things about the way we should act and what we should do, and we think our way is superior to God's. It might seem that if before we get married, we would go practicing and, and live together for a while and test it out before we get married because we don't want our marriage to end in divorce. And if it works out living together for a while, then certainly it's going to work out. Then certainly it will work out once we get married. But you find more often than not, if you're living together beforehand, if you're disobeying God's word in that, uh, it winds up in divorce. God's way is the best. God knows the best. We have to trust that even though it might seem ridiculous to us, God knows best. So we believe that God, who has told us to, to do certain things, to believe in him, to believe in Christ, to, to preach the words we do, we believe that, God, you know best. Seems impossible to us, but you're going to do it. We have faith and we trust that you will. And so we see faith, uh, the impossible faith, faith in maybe what seems to be impossible. Secondly, I want you to notice uh, here uh, faith in what is probably the improbable or improbable faith. See in verse 31. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed uh, with those who were disobedient. Here again we have Jericho, remember? And um, they sent in two spies to, to test it, to, to look, it at, look at it and bring back the information. And uh, the two spies are um, there with Rahab, and she hides them, and they come. Uh, some of the people in Jericho said there were some men here. What happened to them? She said, oh, they left a long time ago. She hid them up there. And then she helped them to escape. And um, she said, you know, remember when you come that I was the one that helped you. She's trusting that God would help her out in this. Now, this is kind of an, she's an improbable one to express faith, I think. Rahab was not, first of all, she, she was not a physical descendant of Abraham. She wasn't one of the ones in the covenant community, if you will. In fact, she was part of the enemy. She was uh, the one living there in Jericho. She was one of the, the enemy. 
And you would look at her and go, well, that's not likely that she would be one who would be expressed as one having incredible faith. And yet, she's one of the few that are mentioned in this chapter as having this incredible faith by hiding the spies, believing that God was faithful. She was not a, a, a physical descendant of Abraham. There are others in the Old Testament who weren't physical descendants of Abraham, and yet they were part of the community. And it's kind of an improbable Ruth. You know, she wasn't from the tribe of Judah, right? She was from Moab, not a descendant of Abraham. Caleb, one of the two spies, when they sent 12 in, one of the two who brought back a good report, he wasn't a physical descendant of Abraham. Uriah, you know, remember the first husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, the, uh, the Ephraimite? Those of you who know, no, that's not right. Uriah was not an Ephraimite. He was a Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. He's not a physical descendant of Abraham either. And yet, in each of these cases, God has brought them into the family by faith. And so Paul would say in Romans chapter six, chapter 9, say not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, he says, if you have the same faith as Abraham, then you are his descendants. It's by faith that we're a descendant of Abraham. So it might seem improbable because she was not a physical descendant of Abraham that she would be one mentioned as having this faith here, but it happened. Secondly, not only uh, she was not a physical descendant of Abraham, she was a woman. Uh, women, th in those days, things were different, okay? In Israel, the man and not the woman was the heir of God's promises. And yet, and yet in the matters of faith, these distinctions disappear. Again, in Galatians chapter 3, there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so the faith might seem improbable for her because she wasn't a physical descendant of Abraham. She was a woman. And thirdly, we see it right here, and as we saw it back in the book of Joshua as well, the faith of the prostitute, Rahab. She was a prostitute. She's one expresses having incredible faith. He's not excusing the sinful profession that she was a part of, for indeed it is a sinful profession. But faith, faith sees not my goodness and not my behaviors, but sees the, the goodness of Christ. It's interesting in counseling, so often people will come to their pastor and say things like, well, I, I just, I hope God will accept me. Maybe they're coming to confess a sin and say, I, I hope that I haven't been too bad this time. I hope God will accept me. You're missing the point. You're missing the point because you don't really understand how bad you are. <laughs> if you want to know how bad you are, you can look at Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10 and following verses. It talks about a depravity that is in among all of mankind. And if we're truly honest, our goodness is never going to merit a relationship with God. And for you to say, I, I hope that God will accept me, I hope that God will do this, you're missing the point here because, no, you're not good enough. Your depravity is certainly too far. 
But not only do you not recognize your own depravity, you don't recognize how bad you are, you don't recognize how good God is. You don't recognize how good God is because if you did, you would recognize that our standing before him is not based on my works, but it's based on works that he has already provided for us by sending his son. And Jesus, who takes on the, the human flesh and he, he does all of the things that God has required of us, he does them absolutely perfectly. And so when we come to the Lord and we want a relationship with him, we come saying, I'm not good enough. I, I know that I'm not good enough, but I know that Christ made provision for me and he is perfect. He is good enough. Rahab, the prostitute, was looking at her own works in this. She's looking to the promises of God, looking to the one who is faithful, who would send a redeemer, and who did send a redeemer, and the only redeemer who is there for us. Well, thirdly, we see uh, the impossible faith, the improbable faith. Thirdly, uh, beginning in verse 32, I want us to see conquering faith. Um, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. Uh, they were stoned, they were sodden too, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Um, this is a quick overview of the uh, Old Testament. And he, he begins by looking at those who, uh, who had uh, some success in what they're doing and trusting God. That, that certainly happens. He talked about conquering kingdoms and uh, Jonathan certainly bringing the people into the land possessed by other peoples. They go about and conquer those other kingdoms. David, King David, comes along and he certainly conquers other kingdoms and expands the the kingdom of Israel. Others administered justice. Certainly David and other righteous kings uh, of Judah at that time administered justice. Shut the mouths of lions. Hopefully you were thinking the same thing most of us were thinking at that time. The story of Daniel who, um, who you know, decides, no, I still have to pray and pray to God. And that's the only one I can pray to. So he does. And the, the, the consequences of that is being thrown in the lion's den. And the king says, may your God, uh, who you trust, uh, shut the mouth of the lions. And he said, yeah, God's able to do that. And he goes in, of course, and the Lord shuts the lion's mouth, and uh, he is saved from them. Uh, quench the fury of the flames. Again, from the book of Daniel, the, the three Hebrew children who refused to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and um, were thus thrown into the fiery furnace, and yet... They didn't burn up. A fourth one was walking with them, uh, as you recall. They trusted in God, and even if he didn't uh, um, rescue them from the flames, he would still rescue them. They knew that. Um, so that 
we see them escape the edge of the sword. We see certainly with Elijah and Elisha instances of escaping the, the sword. Weakness turned to strength. We see some of the judges, and you go, they're pretty weak folks, and yet God takes their weakness, turns it to strength. Um, women receive back their dead. Um, Elijah and Elisha and Second Kings have situations where they give women back their dead. Each success was in the face of incredible difficulty. And God answered the prayer, and they were faithful uh, to him, even though they faced incredible consequences if they weren't faithful to him. But we see others, he goes on, um, others, 35b, others were tortured and refused to be released, and so on. He talks about those who were tortured and refused to be released. Um, in the intertestamental uh, period, there's like 400 years between the finished writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, um, there was uh, some writings, and in that there was a time when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes comes to uh, Jerusalem and takes over and tries to get the people to forsake God. There's a story of seven brothers who refused to be released. And they were tortured as they were, they were strung up and drawn and then beaten to death uh, as a result of refusing to turn away from God. He goes on verse 37, he says, Others were sought in two. Um, there are some um, traditions, some Jewish tradition that suggests that maybe the prophet Isaiah had been sought in two uh, is, is part of his death. Um, I'm not certain of that, but it is in a tradition out there. We, we see of others who were stoned. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet, was uh, the tradition also suggests that possibly he was stoned to death. We know that he was uh, rejected by his people, his own family, thrown into an incredible pit. Uh, he, he's, he curses the day he was born uh, because of all he was going through. And Jesus mentions in Matthew 23... Uh, to the rulers who were there rejecting him, said, you, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. Uh, certainly there were others who had been stoned, and the, pro and the uh, author of Hebrews is writing about them and saying they remained faithful even in the midst of these things. So the world was not worthy of them, verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. Faith even in the face of death. Um, we see that in believers around the world today, many who are facing in, incredible hardships in the face of being put to death, and yet they remain faithful. F.F. Bruce says in his commentary uh, about this, he says, Faith in God carries with it no guarantee of comfort in this world. <laughs> faith in, in God carries with it no guarantee of, faith, of comfort in this world. This was no doubt one of the lessons by which the author wished his readers to learn, but it does carry with it great recompense of reward in the only world that ultimately matters. He's writing to the Hebrews and he's telling them, you know what, God's made promise to you. You're about to undergo incredible hardship. You're beginning to undergo some, but you remain faithful. Even in the, even in the face of that hardship, you remain faithful. Even if it means to death, you remain faithful faithful because the God who's made these promises to, you, promises to you is faithful and true. He will bring those promises to pass. And when he brings them to pass, it's not a temporary thing. 
It's not a reward which will rust away or moths will eat up. It's not uh, something that will be gone with the wind. But it is an eternal, it is an eternal reward. A reward in, in heaven, a reward with the Lord forever. So uh, we see fourthly, not only uh, a, an impossible faith, an improbable faith, a conquering faith, but a uniting faith. Verse 40. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Um, I want you to know God's got one people. I know that there are certain theologies out there that have taught that God has two peoples, a heavenly people and an earthly people. That's just not the case. God has one people. The Old Testament saints were united together with them. And they are united together with us. And only, only together with us would they be made perfect. God has planned something that is better. Better than the temporal. We're heirs. We're heirs of the same promises that they were heirs of. Galatians 3.29 If we believe in a, if we have the same faith as Abraham, we're his children. And heirs according to to the promise and only together with us all God's people becoming one in Christ in Ephesians chapter 2 we read about the fact that there was a wall dividing uh, the Jew and the Gentile and it says Christ came and he broke down that wall and made them one so we're together in one people he also says at one time we were for foreigners and strangers and aliens we weren't a part, we weren't a part of that citizenship but it says now now you've been brought together and you are, you are a part of that family. Ephesians chapter 4 says we're one church. We're one church together with the people of God throughout the ages, having the same faith as they did. So we kind of ask uh, the question from the, uh, from the start, does faith work? Uh, the, uh, the bumper sticker and I guess I could, I could have that bumper sticker if I put a lot of bumper stickers on my car. Faith works. Not in a pragmatic way, which would bring about uh, the, the most prosperity here in this life, where I'm having my best life right now. But faith absolutely works. And if we get to the end of our life being tortured and maybe even put to death by those who are, who are uh, persecuting us because of our stand for Christ, I want you to know that God is faithful. And the promises that he has made of a great inheritance. And where he gives us himself the greatest covenant blessing. I will be your God and you will be my people. And you will live together with me. And when you're living together with me there will be no more sorrow or sickness or pain. No more. None of that. All the tears are gone. Everything will become new. God's promised us a better life still to come. And God is faithful. And he will bring it to pass. Let's pray.